everyone watching and listening. Good morning from North Carolina. Welcome back to the Free Radical Podcast, num episode number six. This is your host, Swami Padmanavan, here today. Very happy to be in the company of uh, another radical personalist, if you allow me, Brenda Sundari Dasi. So, Brenda Sundari, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> thank you for being here. And I'd like to share a few words of uh, Brenda Sundari's biography to begin with, and then we will proceed towards today's topic, transformative communication in Bhakti. So Brenda Sundari Devidas is a designer, creator, a certified transformative coach, homeschooling mother of two, co-temple president at East Condember, founder and manager of Harmonist Sanctuary, and seminar staff and seminar organizer for Satotop Institute. She was introduced to Bhakti philosophy and practice in 2000 in Lawrence, Kansas, while she was studying architecture and textile design at Kansas University. She lives with her husband and two children in Denver, Colorado. So I'm sharing before I forget, for whomever would like to contact her eventually or know more about her activities, this is a contact Brenda at Harmonist Sanctuary dot org <clears throat> so in my personal case i got to met brinda i got to meet brinda sundari uh, personally a few weeks ago <laughs> for the first time but somehow we, we we were connected with each other for a few months already with her and, and, and her husband Tusta krishna prabhu if i'm not mistaken you correct me, Brenda Sundar, if I'm wrong, but I think you contacted me. We contacted each other for the first time, one of the first times when I started my series of lectures on, on radical personalism. <clears throat> um, eventually, of course, we we shared some common points and, and thoughts about that with her, with Tusta Krishna, and eventually Brenda Sundari very generously invited me to a Satotop retreat seminar, which was a retreat in itself that took place in Denver a few weeks ago. So I, I was fortunate enough to be there and continue sharing common points of interest with her. So Brenda Sundari, let me know why, uh, why you consider important to be part of this discussion. And, and also in that connection, I like to ask my guests, what's, what's radical personalism for you? What does it mean to you? Um, to me, it means staying fresh and alive in our spiritual life and our life in general. And I do want to say that when I was reading your book, actually, I was listening to your lectures first. I found that a lot of things that you were saying were things that I had been thinking about myself and discussing with my husband in private. Mm -hmm. And so I felt refreshed in hearing the things that you were speaking about and so then reading the book um yeah further it further expounded <clears throat> on all those ideas so yeah i'm really appreciating um the next further development of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and mm -hmm. as a collective uh, of individuals who are all growing and continue to grow so radical personalism to me means a further expansion and development of our spiritual lives and our lives as individuals and as a collective. Hmm. 
Thank you so much. Beautiful way of putting it. <clears throat> Further expansion, which, yeah, has no limits, basically. So here we are trying to explore the unlimited limits of how much we can expand as individuals and collective. And part of that is, of course, in tie with the idea of how we relate to one another, how we communicate with one another. And that's why today's title is Transformative Communication in Bhakti. And somehow we, we concluded on that title together with Brinda Sundari. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons, of course, is you've just heard her credentials. Uh, I think it's a topic that perfectly matches her, her area of expertise, but also I think it's a topic that perfectly matches the, press, the necessity of the present moment and something that I personally consider crucial to be embraced, uh, not only in the current condition of the Gaudiya community at large, but also in connection to humanity at large, a very crucial aspect of it. So as usual, I, I used to read a brief section <clears throat> from the Radical Personalism book in connection to which I, I we will explore this topic. And so today's section is found in page 124, and it's called Radical Conversation. So I'll read it briefly. It says like this. Real holistic dialogue is one of the most fundamental key features of any healthy community and relationship. And it is profoundly lacking in our present-day interactions among ourselves and with other communities. As a solution to this, we go this should be open to learn, not only from members of our own lineage, but also from other traditions, appreciating their contributions in ways that complement our own school rather than compete with it. We call this radical conversation. <clears throat> so this particular section from the Radical Personalism book inspired the title for today's episode. And of course, this section that I've just read, as you can realize, speaks of conversation among members of the same tradition, members in this case of Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, and also speaks about an extended version of it in terms of how we relate with other traditions. But I think today, let's see where we end up, but probably we'll mostly explore <clears throat> and concentrate on the first aspect of it, transformative communication in bhakti, although we may be touching on, on how also we may relate with other traditions as well. So... Mm -hmm. Sundari, let me know if you have any thoughts to, to begin with sharing today. Well, I, I actually, I was reading in the Chaitanya Charitamrita mm -hmm. about the pulling the weeds process recently mm -hmm. and to, to learn further and to meditate on pulling the weeds in connection with transformative communication. Mm. Um, and then I went into Bhaktino Thakur's Krishna Samhita where he discusses the the demons of Raj and how mm. they are obstacles. And I was looking for for more ex explanation about the weeds because Srila Prabhupada in his purports on Chaitanya Chaitanya in that section, he emphasizes how important pulling the weeds process is next to watering the, the Bhakti Lata. Mm. So... Interestingly, when I started to read Krishna Samhita, I found other things there that were related to transformative communication. And one was transformation. Because I was meditating, okay, what does transformation mean in bhakti? 
Mm. No. Material energy transforms all the time, but there's no actual progress being made. So mm -hmm. what does transformation mean? And and that's the one thing I discovered was Bhakti Thakur is speaking about progress. He also speaks about progress in the Bhagavat. But he speaks about Bhagavat, mm -hmm. but the, the progress in, in Krishna Samhita. So mm -hmm. he's very clear in his, um, in his English writing, the Bhagavat, that progress is a, a law of nature. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so transformation in bhakti is uncovering and it's a clearing process and it's a cultivation and it's a full transformation. So staying uh, alive and be, being alive and staying fresh is is being naturally in the growth on the growth edge and naturally developing all the time. Hmm. So yeah, I'll just stop there. Yeah, that's a great kickstart. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and you refer to, to very foundational texts like the Bhagavad speech of Bhakti Notaku, which is like genius-like and, and how he emphasizes the Saragrahi spirit and the progressive thinker uh, in Vaishnavism, how he's expected to be. And, and yeah, I, I was thinking also in terms of <clears throat> today's title, which I, I, of course, consider very clear and very specific, but also it's redundant, and I'm not criticizing the title. I'm just saying redundant mm -hmm. in the sense that ideally communication has to be ideally transformative, what to speak if it's in bhakti. But sometimes we are forced to clarify all the things because sometimes there is so little communication, transformation in the name of communication, even in the context of bhakti. But strictly speaking, yeah, mm -hmm. we, we practice bhakti yoga, no? and, bhakti, and yoga means... Uh, I would like to translate it as communion, which interestingly for me, the, the very root of the word is tied with the idea of communication. Yeah. I would say com communication may be like a preliminary step into communion, into this common union. So if yoga is communion and bhakti means love, and love is the most transformative thing of all, you have love and communion in love, bhakti yoga. So in that sense, I will say it's redundant, but at the same time, it's important to, to clarify that, yeah, communication has to be transformative, especially if we are talking in the context of bhakti. Yeah, the yeah. same with communication. Communication seems like, oh, just whatever, speak, how we speak with someone or our writing. or But communication means union. It means there's yeah. some connection. And that means there's relationship. Mm -hmm. And I know yeah. that's one thing that you mentioned in your book in Radical Personalism mm -hmm. is how <clears throat> we're always in relationship with every living entity, with Krishna. And and actually, in one sense, we are relationship. Our mm -hmm. existence means relationship. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. our existence means relationship and communication doesn't take place without relationship, then communication and relationship is directly they're very related, yeah. connected, and if not intrinsically the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that existence means relationship. Uh, and we are relationship. We are interrelated. And, and, and we, as you mentioned, if, if their communication could be synonymous with relationship, uh, and existence means relationship. So existence without communication, therefore, is not existence at all. Yeah. <laughs> 
so that's how it's crucial avoiding. is it yeah so that's how crucial is the topic of communication because if you don't have it in place basically exist proper existence is is not in place and and i appreciate what you mentioned that communication is not just okay today we will share some techniques or or like is a technical mm -hmm. affair you know? technical yeah. affairs so the other people doesn't get hurt so easily <laughs> yeah not to touch other susceptibility but no communication goes way beyond it's just part of the very ontology and, and nature of, of reality uh but again i think it's sometimes important to to make the difference between transformative communication and informative communication because again most people sometimes by default conclude that oh in, in, com communication is just the passing of information right. but actually it's the passing of transformation ultimately and and, and that the, the, that's mm -hmm. the litmus test for me how how do we relate with one another that shows who we are where we are no? because it's so easy to yeah. just express information without being put to test in relationship with others no? right yeah and then and then communicating with the self so there's intrapersonal communication and there's interpersonal communication and those are mutually interdependent especially on our mm. process of bhakti process of transformation that we're having we're getting receiving feedback from others and then we're doing our own sharpening of our inner barometer and understanding where we're at mm. learning and becoming informed about what's happening in our inner landscape and then hearing feedback from others and how that how that internal env environment is manifesting into our behavior hmm so just for for those who may have been hearing this term for the first time Brenda Sundari we would like to tell them what's intrapersonal and interpersonal yeah that's in Intra case. yeah intrapersonal yeah. is the self with the self the self mm -hmm. looking at the self um, in self-realization, the self-reflecting on the self, interacting with the self, just like self-management. And then mm -hmm. in, that's intra, and then inter is with others, with other en entities. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that reminds me, in, in my book also I speak in, in connection to interfaith dialogue, I also use the word intra-faith intra dialogue, you know, in terms of <clears throat> before talking to people from other traditions and being able to learn from them, first we need to talk with ourselves and with our own tradition, have a deep dialogue among our own tradition or our, with ourselves as part of one tradition before we can deal with the other one. And after dealing and learning from other traditions, we are invited to a further intra-faith dialogue. So, so I, 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 I always thought in those connections. We have our intra-personal communication, then we are interpersonal, but after the interpersonal comes another layer of intrapersonal dialogue after what we receive from the interpersonal interaction and so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and practically what interpersonal communication can look like is, is what are we telling ourselves about ourselves? Mm. And what beliefs are we carrying that maybe we're not, we're not so conscious about that's underneath the conscious surface or we're less than conscious about beliefs that we have about ourselves and others about reality. And what are we telling ourselves about ourselves? And it becomes so clear in, for example, in coaching sessions when, and I often hear others say, oh, I'm, 
when I think like this, then I tell myself this. Right? So mm -hmm. this inner dialogue is always happening, mm -hmm. either with ourselves or with divinity on a deeper level, and then with reality and how we, how we interact with the world. Hmm. You are taking us outside of the comfort zone with these ideas, Brenda Sundari, I must tell you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I Thank hear you, you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm blessed by, by that, so by, by invoking these notions of, yeah, making us aware of, of the deep level of assumptions that we may be having and through which we may be filtering basically reality and, and how going back to your point of pulling the weeds, how, how one aspect of pulling the weeds will be to increase our awareness of the assumptions through which we are filtering reality. You know, that, that's also, for me, a crucial aspect of anarthani vritti. You know? Because sometimes we might yeah. think anarthani vritti means I'll chant or I practice and, and, and Krishna's just will take off all the contamination, so to say, like automatic process, yeah. mechanical. Instead of, I need to be introspective, again, intrapersonal, I need to deeply reflect, try to, to pay attention to what's triggered in me and thus see that as a, as, a, as a window into my unconscious and to realize what's behind the curtain, uh, yeah. which may be scary for some, but it's totally necessary to enter that, that space. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Srila Prabhupada is really clear about it in the two verses and in Chaitanya Charitamrita, how important it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's serious to do both side by side to cultivate the bhakti lakta, hearing and chanting. And then, and then he warns, it's actually said there, that if we don't pull the weeds, then what happens is the weeds can look just like that bhakti lakta creeper. Those unwanted creepers can look just like it. And if we're not if we're not able to decipher between which one is which, then we then we think we think we're okay. Or we think yeah. it's okay. We'll but, nourish, nourish the weeds. Yeah, and then and interestingly, those <clears throat> creepers, those unwanted creepers are uh, uh, they're referred to as uh, unwanted behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, which is which is interesting because then when we look at what does it mean to cultivate bhakti, that the when Rupa Goswami gives this this definition anushilanam, then he's speaking about Jiva Goswami expands it further into two two meanings of the cultivation of the sentiment of the heart and then of the engagement and disengagement of the body, mind, and words speech. <clears throat> so. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at like what are the behaviors? So how is the internal <clears throat> environment manifesting into our behavior? Hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate that you are bringing uh, shastra in this connection further shastra to support our today's episode in terms of Rupa Goswami's definition of bhakti and Jiva Goswami's commentary on on this famous verse which defines bhakti and nyavila, sutyasunyam, etc. <clears throat> Just to make it clear that. What we are talking here is not a, a fancy new agey uh, mm -hmm. stuff, but it's rooted in our very tradition and it's crucial to to the stage that most devotees are in now, which is bhajana kriya narthani vritti, and, and how to engage in bhakti, in spiritual life with introspection, basically. The, the, ultimately, that's what it's all about. I like to 
going further to Shastra to quote Bhagavatam, how Brahma in the very beginning of creation, he hears this word tapa. And mm -hmm. I put in my book, tapa can mean also fire, not only austerity. And when Brahma hears tapa, eventually the result is he starts to look inside. He has intrapersonal <laughs> dialogue. Uh, so that's another way of saying introspection. So that's the very first word that comes in creation, introspection, like implying it's all about it. <laughs> no? If you're coming here, yeah. it's about introspection. So just to show how important this is uh, for everyone who is here, not only for Gaudi Vaishnavas. Yeah, and you also refer to fire when you speak about mm -hmm. that, which is interesting yeah. because fire is often related to transformation. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we are to access fire and it, be, it may be burned, but it also will shed light. No? It, it also has uh, warmth in it, no? mm -hmm. but something may fire, need to be burned. <laughs> yeah, and fire transforms, trans, fire transforms one, something into another. Mm -hmm. So it's very, fire is very characteristic of transformation. Yeah, and a spiritual life is, like. is all about transformation, which, I mean, just in case I'm clarifying that in case we forgot that, but we come to spiritual life to be transformed, not to remain yeah. the same as you mentioned, not to, to, to water the weeds and make them like nourish them and make them seem as, okay, this spiritual life, this is bhakti. And actually, no, there's something to be put into the fire instead of being nourished and make a facade of that. So it seems like bhakti. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I appreciated your, your referring to that. You want to say something, sir? Well, I, I, I was thinking about when um, I was in grade school, I was in Catholic school. My family was Catholic, so I was raised in a Catholic tradition. And we would go, I think monthly, I'm not, I don't remember clearly how often, but we would go during school, we would go to confessional. So we'd walk across the, from the school building to the church building, and we would mm -hmm. go into the church and we would each sit individually separately and eat and pews and sit quietly and wait for our turn and i remember my friend on the way walking across the black pavement parking lot she asked me what are you going to say this time <laughs> because each each time we confess something like oh i did this bad i did this bad thing and i remember her asking me like in, in a bit of like a joking way what? Like trying to be original, which was the question like, like you have to say something new every time or, or, or in which yeah. spiritual? Yeah, well, that, that, that was the thing I was thinking is her question really uh, like prompted this, this inquiry in myself. Like, I think I'll just say the same thing I ever, I always say, which is mm. the same thing I, I, that I do every time and nothing <laughs> has really changed. Mm. I, I hit my yeah. sister. I spoke back to my mom. It's the same thing. So, yeah. yeah, early on, I, I remember feeling like, where's the, where's the development? Like, where am I going? Yeah, where, at least we have to, to, to commit higher mistakes. Now, that's how I like to define progress sometimes. It's not that I'll stop making mistakes, but making deeper ones. No, at least have some news yeah. in that regard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. So even when, when, when introduced to Krishna consciousness and the practice of bhakti, I was inspired by this promise that it would that in practicing bhakti I would be 
transform, that I would develop myself in a, in a way that I could control my senses, that I could be the master of the, the self is the master of the self, that I could mm. um, control anger, that I can conduct myself and I'd actually experience development, like an evolution of spiritual consciousness or evolution of consciousness. Mm. And, and, and otherwise, like, what's the point of life? <laughs> like, mm. you know, I just think like, being a child, there was, there was, it was just, it was experiencing, experiencing this, experiencing that, but not actually having this active, productive evolution of consciousness. It was more passive. So mm. having a, actually having an intentional, um, how do you say it? Like an intentional power or, or maybe an agency to, to be more developing, to be developing more, to choose mm. to develop more. And that, that I actually have that agency to develop more and to be more, my pace could actually pick up. And I felt so, so fulfilled in having that hope. And I did, I experienced that. And then I would say around like seven years in to my practice, um, I started feeling a stagnancy again. Hmm. So um, it was around that time, maybe a few years of, of just questioning and looking that I, I, I realized that my behavior is, like I'm frust- I was frustrated with my behavior, not following through with, my, with what I'm studying, mm-hmm. what, I, what I say I'm living about, but then my behavior wasn't matching. So what do I do, how do I, what do I do about this? So around that time is when I, I was introduced to transformative communication and immediately, um, you know, I was receiving coaching sessions and, and then it really invoked this process of introspection, looking at anger and looking at what I believed about myself and all these different things. So, um, mm. yeah, I think I think the soul is really yearning to be alive. The soul is alive. But mm-hmm. how are we expressing that aliveness in, in our evolution of consciousness? A few thoughts that come to mind before we, we go to what you just mentioned, your experience with transformative communication. But I was thinking when you mentioned the, your experience with confession, that I know that for some people maybe a little, again, may, may not have the most uh, inspiring memories of that. <laughs> of course, in, in, in the very root, I think that they, the spirit of confession is healthy in, in terms of being honest, sincere, being vulnerable, Ideally, and, and having someone listening empathically, uh, it's, it shouldn't be a mechanical thing. Okay, bring your weekly sins, receive the particular chastisement, or pray, which prayers, how many of them you have to do. Okay, I'm clean. I can continue doing sins because I'm clean back. I can go back to my usual habits. But but I connected that with uh, actual communication or actual confession has to do with yeah, both parts being totally present to one another and vulnerable. This the, the line of Rupa Goswami came to mind, Guhyama Kiti Prichati, like one of the symptoms of love between the both is to reveal the mind with one another, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how sometimes that confession uh, won't be, again, in terms of something glorious. It can be, of course, some unique mercy that is coming, but also it can be pretty embarrassing. Uh, and it's part of the transformation process. That's my point. We were, we were talking exactly. about spiritual life about being yeah. transformed. We may ide- idealize, okay, transformation, as you mentioned, maybe 
I will control my mind. I will control many things. I'm not blaming you for saying that. All of us thought like that. But Elodie was still in the control mode. I will control and I will be perfect and I will be transcendental too. I'm part of the transformation journeys. Lots of embarrassing, lots of things that I have to uh, become aware of. And, and we may feel this. I don't like this. This is this is not this doesn't feel like transformation, although it is. No? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the whole process of of going to confession mm. means looking at what did I, how have I been behaving, how do I feel about that, and yeah, I I remember like, even yeah, it, it it actually prompted that. Yeah, even even just the experience of going into the empty church. And each of us sitting individually in pews, quiet. You know, even though, like, as children, we were we would giggle and like, I make sure I don't. I just look at the floor, or else my friend will catch my eye and we'll laugh. But but mm. internally, the experience of what's going on underneath, of oh, what did I do this past month? And yeah, I, I did that thing, and I hurt I hurt my sister, and that actually I felt hurt when I hurt her. And do I really mm. want to be in pain? Like, how am I creating pain for others and myself? And do I really want that? Just It prompted that introspective process. Of course, mm. at the time, I didn't have the words and the facility to actually understand and solidify what was going on. But I can now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I appreciate that your emphasis on introspection in terms of, in one sense, introspection could be just translated as thinking being thoughtful, but sometimes we mistake thinking with having thoughts, which is not the same, no? <laughs> because we are having thoughts all day. There is an, an ending parade of stuff going on in our yeah. minds. But to think, that's a different function. And I will say, mm -hmm. yeah, nowadays sometimes we confuse the two and we say, yeah, I'm thinking, but it's just like uncontrolled parade of thoughts. And actually thinking in this, term, in this sense will be introspection, which means like mm -hmm. taking certain stance at your thoughts, at your emotion, at your actions, and and the, yeah, think about them basically, not not just yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, I like to I like to call it like taking the the light of the consciousness because the the consciousness is a symptom of the self, the soul. So when mm -hmm. we're actually taking consciousness. It's like directing our consciousness is emanating, right? So we're taking mm -hmm. our consciousness and we're actually turning it into the self. So it's like shining a mm -hmm. light in. Hmm. toward the self and seeing oh i have layers over myself and what hmm. are those layers what do they look like and what if i what if i do this instead or what you know looking looking hmm yeah well, which i i will translate as being courageous you know, to have the courage to do that is like and the other day the idea came to my mind the connection between Courage, as I, as I try to explain in my book, and vulnerability, uh, because you cannot be courageous unless you are in a vulnerable situation. There's, if, if one thinks about every time you were courageous in your life, in one sense you are you are vulnerable. You are exposed to something, and only then you can be courageous. And then I connected with the word encouragement to make a play of where encouragement has to do with courage, and courage has to do with vulnerability. So in one way you mm -hmm. cannot. Of encouragement without proper uh, vulnerability, without the willingness to enter that space where you have to look, to shed light, as you mentioned, to, to at certain directions of where we may be. 
uh, and being willing to work on that. No, as, as you, I think you mentioned me to me one of these days ago. You mentioned something about the importance uh, of of creating a safe container of trust, uh, like through empathic listening, through empathic empathic listening as a healing modality, something like that. So yeah, I, I created that. Yeah, I personally find it much safer to introspect that and have inter interpersonal communication than interpersonal communication. So I mm -hmm. find that's where the courage really takes place for me is to speak with others about it because it takes another level of vulnerability, I find. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, and then, and Guyam Akyati Pritchiti, how are we creating a culture with ourselves and with others in our society of practitioners where we're creating a, a container where we can actually introspect and then be be a supportive modality for each other to uncover to have that courage to look at what's there and then actually even receiving feedback what i find is fascinating is how much people how much we perceive about each other even within like minutes of first impression not, that's one thing like in within the seminars um, we do feedback processes and in the and seven seven day seminar um, I don't I want to give away too much information but at the end of the first day we we do some feedback exercises and it it, it just blow, it just blows my mind actually how how much others can perceive about us by just knowing a complete stranger within what seven hours just being with them Thumbs, and yeah. not even engaging in discussion mm. but that but that but the fact is is that we're sentient beings and that sentience of uh, that i have sentience you have sentience and that sentience actually communicates so much with each other yeah 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 i've had that same experience during the seminar we had a few weeks ago like we're sharing with some of the participants there. And even before seven hours, <laughs> after a few minutes, uh, so many things will come about each other that were so accurate, so accurately real. And we didn't have a clue who we, are, who we were in one sense. But at the same time, we were connected with each other from the most, from the most substantial place possible. So that means you actually have a clue who you are. Uh, yeah. Beyond all, the, beyond all the technical details, what's your name? Where are you from? All that stuff that sometimes we take for knowing who the person is, <laughs> with, yeah, when actually exactly. it, has, it doesn't have to do with that, no. So yeah, and I, I will connect that with what you mentioned, no? Like, okay, how how it's possible that you can get to know so much about other person in minutes? Well, I at least my my perception of of the experience was. In the beginning, there was a very safe container of trust and vulnerability constructed. So that allows for for both parts to be completely open because if people is not open to each other, they won't get to know each other in, in lifetimes, not even in minutes, yeah. in years, in lifetimes. So I think that that was a very important contribution by, by of course, Dira Govinda Prabhu and all the organizers of the particular seminar, like create the safe container for vulnerability to be expressed. And whenever that, that's in place, everything, mm -hmm. the rest will follow accordingly and each one will be naked, so to say, in front of one another in terms of vulnerability. 
and everything will be seen in a very clear and transparent way without the need of a facade of masks of running away etc yeah yeah and how do we create that safe container in our relationships as devotees i mean one of the biggest there's a really a, a nice book about trust the speed of trust written by the son of the the first stephen covey and he talks about how trust when there's when there's trust among a group then they're so much more productive that they're mm -hmm. not tripping up on all these what what is he thinking about me and what i think about them and then we don't say it and you know but to actually create trust and interestingly what creates trust trust and what destroys trust one of the things that destroys trust is judgmentalism Im imposing assumptions on another mm -hmm. person or coming up coming to judgments in a conclusive way, being overly mm -hmm. conclusive about someone and then just writing it off. It's like, it's like a, a, a great way of creating a wall. And it, and what I find ironic is in religious groups and religious society, mm -hmm. judgment tends to be higher, mm -hmm. more prevalent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right there, we're, we're sort of undermining our own selves and our practice and our relationships with each other by being overly judgmental and not and and not suspending so to to create trust we can suspend judgment we naturally it's a function of the intelligence to to make judgments to, to hmm. be discerning so we have that and we're open to understanding further what's happening for another person hmm. we're open to their evolution we're open to their development and expansion we're open we're not assuming that we know yeah yeah that's that's so it sounds it sounds so commonsensical and it is yeah. but it's uncommon uncommonsensical because common sense is generally uncommon sense and and i like to pound that post a little bit because that's such an important point that i mean generally it's it, there is a very important difference between uh having a certain perception of, of a person of a situation and and making a conclusive statement in our own mind about that person of situa or situation and, and being as you mentioned assumption while versus open feedback so to say i may i may relate with you or with anyone and reach certain perception of what's going on it's unavoidable as you mentioned but it's very different than already reaching a conclusion in my mind and and I'm, I'm make labeling that person according to my prejudice basically and putting people in boxes uh, according mm -hmm. to what I, they are especially as and i appreciate that point you mentioned in religious circles there seems to be a higher rate of that and probably i was thinking the reason may be because we have so many absolute uh, statements absolute conceptions like transcendental and, and absolute and conclusive according to our faith and experience okay this is the truth this is god this is the perfect way of doing things. This is a, so we take this like absolutistic take on reality, and and we mix that with our assumptions and prejudices, and we become yeah. a, a social danger basically because we project now. Now we reinforce our assumptions and prejudices with this absolutistic taste, and we are just mm -hmm. concluding about everything, and we can become, of course, fundamentalists and all the things that we see in, in religious people in many cases at least mm -hmm. so yeah i wanted to yeah. emphasize that point because it's i mean 
probably almost nobody's free from that, but it's at least to bring awareness to the fact that probably we are doing that. The scriptures say, jagat." you see the world as you see yourself and you just filter everything. So I think it's, it's a healthy, as you mentioned, the suspension of judgment, which is somehow what I, I write in my book on, in the chapter of divine ignorance, like a way of, of coexisting with ignorance or knowing is not to be so sure and to wrap so quickly about what what we think is going on outside of us, but just to remain coexisting with uncertainty and unknowing and not be so sure about everything, but allow things to unfold and show us as they actually are. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or to understand that it's a partial truth. Yeah. Like it's a partial truth. It's not an absolute truth that my experience is a partial truth. Like there's truth in my experience. There's, mm -hmm. there could be truth in my discernment and my perspective and my experience of someone. And it's partial. Mm. Mm. It could be a totally yeah. different experience for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, in a spiritual tradition, we deal with absolute truth, but sometimes we, we, we merge the two and our partial truths become absolute truth because I'm quoting Shastra to justify my point or I'm part of this group who worships the absolute. So whatever comes to me is also absolute. <laughs> and, 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 and your idea of partial truth, recall me, Richard Rohr uses this terminology that I appreciate. He says, there is my story, there is our story, and there is the story. No? So there's what I experience, my partial truth, what I can yeah. see in there's what we perceive our story as human community family group and there is the the story the bigger picture the absolute mm -hmm. truth and again as you mentioned we should never be too sure that that we are already encompassing absolute truth encompassing this story with our particular perspective mm -hmm. word yes but it doesn't mean all the it doesn't mean that only the absolute story is true it means all the other stories are true also. Yeah, are you know? included in then, the absolute story. Yeah. I mean, a part of it, although as partial as that may be, again, as you mentioned, they have mm -hmm. their validity. But the danger, you know, there's a danger in having or assuming that I have a monopoly on the truth. That because oh, yeah. of my understanding of scriptures and because I'm engaging in the highest path that have the, I have yeah. the monopoly on the truth. I mean, even Bhaktivinoda Tagore, he, I find it so interesting how he says, I think it's in the Krishna Samhita, where he says, mm -hmm. you know, some believe that the world was created for this, some believe it was created for this, some people was created for this. And, and in actuality, our human intelligence, there's, it's, it's not even possible to understand mm -hmm. with our intelligence. Yeah. It's only understandable through samadhi, and it repeats that. But mm. even even we think, oh, I, yes, I know samadhi. Like, can we even really admit that we? I mean, to just to just know that, like, yeah, I'm limited in my perspective. Even as e even if I am completely pure and clear, I mm. my my existence is a, a slice of the whole. I mean, look at like Om Purnam, we're all parts and parcels and we're perfect and complete as an individual, as a part of the collective. Mm -hmm. The whole collective is perfect and complete, but the, the perfect whole. And I'm a, I'm, I'm a partial reality mm -hmm. of the whole reality. 
My perspective is a partial reality of the whole reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what I will define as humility. <laughs> no, to acknowledge that fact, basically, to live from that mm -hmm. place of not being too sure about anything, which doesn't mean that, oh, I'm losing my faith. It's just, on the contrary, I'm increasing my faith and I'm realizing how reality is, is ever-expanding and how I can just touch one point in an infinite line and I have to remain open for astonishment and wonder because as the scriptures say, Rasasar Chamatkar, the essence of the juice of life is wonder, astonishment. Now here Gail mm -hmm. Rasangi Lewis is commenting in that connection. She says, being curious about others, you know, like, like mm -hmm. keeping the, the curiosity spirit, because if not, we just become too conclusive. Everything fits into the corresponding box and we may end up with a dictatorship, so to say. You know? Everything yeah. is perfectly in place, no place for wonder, no place for uncertainty unknowing so discovery yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly so brinda center you were mentioning connecting to the topic of transformative communication and empathy and, and vulnerability i'd like to if, if you something that comes to mind if we can share some words on the on, on the idea of listening or, or because we were talking mm -hmm. about building building a safe container for for okay. people to feel safe enough to to be open and naked and probably a lot of that has to do with listening, which is a crucial part of communication because sometimes we, we tend to interpret communication as I'm talking, not even the other person yeah. talking, me talking. <laughs> That's to communicate, <laughs> to say what I have to say so you understand me. No, and that's not communication at all. It, it Mostly it's about listening more than talking. So I don't know what we would like to say to begin with about like the, the notion of, of listening. Right. Well, the 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 aspect of communication or the part in communication that where miscommunication or communication breakdown happens most often is is in the decoding. Mm -hmm. So it's in the listening. Mm. And yeah, and guyam akiti prichiti, we're listening in confidence and um, and I see that as we're listening with openness and in a, in a, we have a generosity and a compassion. So, um, being open, um, hearing someone without, I'm not going to go and speak this to another person. I'm not thinking like, how can I listen in such a way that I can use this against them in the future? Like, mm -hmm. what am I doing for, what am I, how am I serving this person through listening? So seeing actually listening as a service and that, that in deep listening, empathic listening, or we're meeting a person with understanding. So when when someone is going through an experience, the human experience, which is meant for self-realization, it's designed for self-realization, we're creating this container, this container of listening and confidence, where that person is processing what's happening in their human experience for self-realization. So it's not only that person is shining the light of their consciousness on their own self in their process, but also my consciousness, I'm shining my light focused completely that this is the most important thing that's happening right now for me is, hmm. is this person's process. Mm -hmm. And so I'm shining my light of consciousness onto them and their process and their processing. And then that combined light, how I see it is, is that combined light is illuminating 
for them and then they can see even more oh mm -hmm. like oh when you for example reflective listening is it's a tool and it's a it's a way of actually shining the light on that on that person's process so mm -hmm. I, i you know i hear you say this i'm hearing you say this and i'm also sensing that you're that you're experiencing frustration with yourself and then that person looking like yeah i am yeah it is frustration that i'm feeling yeah and i'm also i'm also experiencing some um like depression so to to, to just uncover the layers with that illuminating process mm. and it's healing the light is healing the light is healing because it's shining into the dark places mm. thank you yeah i appreciate what you mentioned like listening as a service uh, because and we have that in our own tradition we when, when bhakti the angas the expressions of bhakti are described interestingly it begins with shravan uh, shravanam kirtanam vishnu smaranam and so on so shravanam means to hear Also, we, we may take it like to hear the Bhagavatam, to sit and hear a class, and we may not take Shravanam also to listen, like to learn, as you are yeah. describing also. And personally, I <clears throat> I like to include this, this idea in Shravanam, not only to hear uh, the class or Harikata from someone, but also learning to listen in a fully present, empathic, compassionate way. Uh, I recall when I was in the In the Satutop seminar, Dhiragovinda Prabhu quote Paul Tillich. Uh, that was a great quote. I didn't know that one. If I will have known, I will have included that in my book. <laughs> And he said basically, the first duty of love is to listen. And I was like, wow. And, and again, Shravan for us, that's the first. After all the other stages of all these practices of bhakti, it all begins by proper uh paying attention i mean if, if i love you i will listen to you or if i want to love you at least i will be willing to listen if i'm not willing to listen basically i'm i do not i'm i'm sending the message that i don't care so so that was an important mm -hmm. powerful point for me like and, and for us yeah you ultimately in in our particular tradition as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, our ultimate goal of life In, in, entails so much listening and so much communication when Radha and Krishna are in the Lila and they are talking with one another with different nuances and intricate meanings in between and they are talking and listening and talking so if we want to enter that realm and serve in that realm of communication we have to start the training of course right here among ourselves so so I appreciated yeah. your emphasis on, 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 on hearing and how hearing can be transformative and can help and help the one who is talking to receive more light. As you mentioned, hearing sheds some light. The one who is open, the one who is vulnerable talking is shedding light by his, her vulnerability. But sometimes an extra light is required, and that will come by the vulnerable person who is also hearing. Because if you are vulnerable talking, you can only connect with that, with that vulnerability by being yourself vulnerable while hearing. True. <laughs> So the, yeah. the two combined vulnerabilities are two combined lights which help to shed light on whatever needs to be shed light on. So, mm -hmm. so that, that, that was powerful. I appreciated that. <clears throat> and, yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell yeah, me. I mean, and, and Radha Krishna, you know, Radha, Radha and Krishna are communicating in such high-level ways. Mm -hmm. it's, so, it's so intricate that that what they're saying is not what they're really saying, but they're saying something else. 
Like it's it's the complete opposite of the lowest level communication in this realm. Yeah. Right. Where yeah. someone says something, but they didn't really say it. Like they're not being straightforward. They can't figure mm. out what they what they meant when they said that. And maybe it means this. And there's a whole drama going on in my mind. Like it's like the lowest level of communication is not not communicating. I mean, that's mm. the reflection of Radhakrishna is communicating. They're saying one thing, but they're actually saying another. You have to be quite developed in your communication yeah. to understand what's actually happening. Yeah. The intricacies yeah. That, of communication. Yeah. Because if you are thrown suddenly to that realm without being proficient in that, you, you go crazy because you, you don't know what's going on, what they are actually saying. Everyone else is getting it, but you won't. So the point, I like to connect this thing with the higher realm and where we are just to make this correspondence between where we want to go, but what's going on in that place and how we should qualify ourselves right now to entering into that place through the daily situations that we walk through that we may call ordinary situations, <laughs> uh, yeah. but they're not ordinary as such. They're totally qualifying us for the most extraordinary type of of experience, so to say. So it's important for me to, to establish some uh, correlation between the two. So we don't think, oh, that's so divine and transcendental and this has nothing to do with that. No, actually, as you right. mentioned, dealing with your own emotions or with other people's inner world in these terms has a very, very deep correlation with the ultimate converging point of the Leela, so to say. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you just won't make it there. Like yeah. Prabhupada says in the purport and uh, about pulling the weeds, he says if 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 the devotee does not pull the weeds, they just won't make it there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When I say, of course, if you go there and you are not ready, you won't be able to fit there. It's a way of saying <laughs> you will never get there, yeah. of course, to begin with. <laughs> but I I I think it's important that we play out the implications of what it means for us to enter the Vrindavan Lila in our tradition. And which are the implications of that and, and how we have to play out the implications here and now. Um, probably a beginning point is communication and a beginning point of communication is, as you mentioned, uh, vulnerability and, and least empathic listening and, and helping one another to, to see what's going on by listening. Oh, yeah. So much, so much power is there. Well, I think that, I mean, I've seen it the, mm -hmm. in in the practitioners that where we think, well, I can continue hearing and chanting and then everything else will follow. Mm -hmm. So I continue hearing and chanting and I'll go, I'll go and join you know, the eternal questions. What's hearing again? <laughs> yeah. And what's chanting of course as well, but yeah, I will add hearing to listening because again, hearing is not just, I sit mechanically in a class, and whatever is being said, I'm I'm always incorporating it in the proper way. I mean, you need to to understand what's going on. It's not just hearing. You have to process what you are hearing, to accept, to discern, to put into practice, to realize. I mean, there is a whole sequence to that. But but yeah, I agree that listening and hearing is a good beginning point. You were sorry, you want to say something? Well. Yeah, there, there are when, how do I say this? There are different phases of change or development. There's mm -hmm. standard phases of development and change. And if we're always alive in self-realization, mm -hmm. then whatever mm -hmm. we're hearing is valuable for us. 
whatever experience we have, even as a listener or as, a, as someone who's expressing, and everything's alive. So, yeah, I'll just add that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say that also because I, I let's be honest, for many people, this is terrifying, you know, just to be naked, to be vulnerable, to be known. Uh, this is how to say, like, to speak about the unspeakable, so to say about those stuff that is unpleasant. Uh, yeah. Uh, but again, it's how, how to make that thing that is terrifying and unpleasant possible. Uh, I will connect it with this point of being uh, witnessed by someone who is unconditionally present there, hmm? which is not so easy. Again, as you mentioned, it's not just like, Okay, I will be an unconditional hearer for you. It's not like I press a button and I'm already there. It's a, it's a training, so to say. You need to really yeah. practice practice unconditional hearing. It's not like an automatic function. Okay, I will hear now. Now I will talk. Now I will do... I mean, it requires so much uh, training. And it's okay not to discourage anyone. It's just it's good to mm-hmm. measure that to be a good hearer, I mean, that can take a lifetime. <laughs> and that can be so healing. Yeah. Hearing can be so healing, but but yeah, you need to train your heart and your your ear for that to happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. and for someone to build that, to experience safety and being heard, and then mm-hmm. that that increased safety, that feeling of safety, then one can in being received, and being heard, yeah. and being yeah. understood, and yeah. that that. The need to be understood is a deep need. So feeling understood, feeling safe and, and being vulnerable, then it builds up a courage to be more vulnerable next time, to be more vulnerable. And so it seems like a lot of us practitioners have not received, been received in a safe way. And so we're afraid to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that, that can in turn stunt our development. So we're afraid. But when we have this experience of being received in safety, and then we can actually be confident and grow out of that, grow security, feel safe, and then from that be even more vulnerable. So when someone isn't, when someone isn't confidential, when I share honestly, I'm able to handle it more because I'm, 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 I'm accustomed to becoming, to, I'm accustomed to feeling secure in my vulnerability. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and as I mentioned, I remember in my book, again, of course, vulnerability is so necessary. But again, if you don't have proper boundaries to express vulnerability, you can feel terrified and, and that can end up in abuse. So it's so yeah. important to, yeah. to provide to provide the support and the empathy and the unconditionality for the pe- the, pe- the person getting naked in front of you, so to say, <laughs> doesn't feel like yeah. you know, this will end up in in trauma, but it's, this will end up in mm-hmm. empowerment. You know, that, that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking when you were describing the the ideal the ideal spirit for the hearer uh, is somehow representing what God, what Krishna is doing with us. Krishna is looking at us unconditionally, lovingly hearing us but of course sometimes we may lose sight of that so we need that to be more embodied in front of us in the form of someone who is representing uh, god's own stance toward us in terms of supporting us accompanying us 
So again, whatever it comes mm -hmm. from in connection with God himself or with some person, uh, we need, as you mentioned, to feel ourselves understood, uh, supported, because if not, yeah, it's yeah. overwhelming. Right. Yeah, as a listener to meet the person and the experience that they're expressing, to meet them mm -hmm. with understanding and compassion, it requires for the listener to have met oneself with understanding and compassion. And in my experience, that compassion came from becoming more developed in my practice, like more developed in my devotional sentiment. So mm -hmm. that, that helps with the compassion part. And then understanding myself instead of like, why am I getting angry? It's so bad to be anger, angry. It's lusty to be angry. It must mean I'm lusty, right? <clears throat> but to see like, oh, I'm feeling angry about this. Actually, it's really about this. And so that the whole process of introspection and meeting oneself with understanding. So then I know when someone else is expressing something, I understand. I, I have an understanding, like an actual understanding of what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Because even though the circumstances are different, the experience is generally the same the experience of anger, the experience of being human. And, and so I can meet them with understanding and compassion. And then from that point, actually, transformation happens. So as soon as we accept something, then we can change it. But if we, if we go straight to something and just change it, it doesn't work. The transformation actually happens when we go meet, meet it with understanding. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so much going beyond, but going through. <clears throat> no, like as you mentioned, accepting instead of transcending. Actually, actual transcendence has to do with to begin. It begins with a radical acceptance, what I like to call. And 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 you touch upon an important point, which is okay. I'm having certain emotions, and that plays a lot in plays it out in a lot in communication in relationships. Me or the other person is going through some emotion, and especially with the in our tradition and any other tradition, we have all this like self-imposed judgment on, okay, I'm feeling this. I shouldn't be feeling this. This is not yeah. correct. This is a symptom of conditioned soul. This is wrong. I should be feeling this. So we, we kind of develop, we lack, we lack, as I put in my book, we don't develop intimacy with our emotions, but actually we quickly put them in boxes and most of them are condemned, basically. <laughs> we are not accepting them for what they are. So, uh, and, and I think that's an important point for us to realize that, and I quoted in my book, even things from the Bhagavatam and Prabhupada saying, even an enlightened soul will be angry at times. That's not, that won't, that, that's not something that won't happen. We over-idealize, okay, being advanced means being non-emotional, basically. <laughs> Uh, and interestingly, our ultimate goal is full of emotions. So again, if our yeah. ultimate goal is all about Bahava or emotion, if we as practitioners are developing some like anti-emotional stance, how we will end up in the actual goal we will we want to attain? So, no, it's like putting it's like putting parts of the self into boxes and in, in like different corners in the room, and then and then we end up being this like half like dilapidated half person. Mm. But when we actually take all of those parts 
and bring them like closer into the self, like going, moving closer in and looking mm. at all of them, then they naturally become, they naturally become integrated, purified by being integrated. Mm. Exactly. So I just, I was feeling, you know, I was feeling that like 10 years ago, I was feeling like, oh, this part of myself, I don't like, it's bad. And this part of myself, I don't like, it's bad. This part's good. And then mm. I just, I felt like this like chopped up entity. It was, mm. it was, it felt so, it felt so misaligned with what Bhakti actually is. It felt so not loving. And I was thinking, how can I do this to myself? As a parent, I, as a parent, like when I, I remember when I heard my son say something about himself, like he said, like, I don't really like this about myself. And it, it hurts so deeply as mm. a mother to hear him say that, like, you don't, how can you say that about yourself? You're amazing. And just think like Krishna is watching, watching me like, oh, yeah, bad, bad. It, it hurts so much probably because we think the same way about ourselves still. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, someone is saying that connection disintegrated versus disintegrated self versus integrated self. No, because you are talking about integrating the emotions. No, and I also talk about that in the book. Transcendence is integration, not rejection of anything, but proper mm -hmm. integration. But if you don't have integration, you have disintegration, and disintegration means apocalypse, everything is over, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's not transcendent. Yeah, and then and when I was reading, I was reading how Bhakti Uno Thakur was reflecting on, on Prabhu Goswami's Anushilanam and how Jiva, Jiva Goswami broke it down into two. And then and then I was speaking with a friend and he was saying, and then Vishwanath Chakravarti breaks that down into three categories. And Bhakti Uno Thakur is saying, you know, he says that the that the emotions are an expansion of the self, and so the emotions at every stage of existence are always present. So mm. to, 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 to divorce ourselves from our emotions is, it's, it's, I guess, from a manager's mind, like someone who wants production. It's efficient, it's inefficient and ineffective. It's not effective, it's not productive, and it's not efficient. And if we really actually are interested in becoming perfected beings, if we actually want to develop love for Krishna, then and we have to really dive in. And I know, I know, like you're saying, this it can feel really terrifying for some people to put themselves in that. So, but it is so it's so refreshing to be able to just integrate and to be an mm -hmm. integrated being, and then and to develop this security, a sense of security and safety, and wholeness, and to just move mm -hmm. into bhakti in a very whole way. Yeah. Yeah, not only holy, but whole. No? Our holiness mm -hmm. must include our wholeness. Because if not, in the name of holiness, we are becoming dysfunctional, basically, unhuman. Uh, uh, we have to integrate humanity with transcendence. And being human means having certain emotions. And our ultimate prospect is to be fully human and fully divine. It's not that our ultimate life in Lila is no more humanity, only divinity. And we have to be fully human there. So... We won't never be fully yeah. human if we are not being as human as we can here and there. So, so yeah, I appreciate this completely. It's freedom, basically, when you allow yourself to, to go through those experiences without the label, without the weeping, <laughs> without the, yeah. the prejudice of you shouldn't be feeling that, that's wrong. I mean, 
that's the voice of fear, that's the voice of prejudice, that's the voice of, of dogma, or that's the voice of, yes, I mean, maturity, that we understood certain things or certain way, or they were presented to us in certain way without wanting to blame anyone. But sometimes we want to acknowledge, sometimes we receive the type of narrative, like transcendence means do not, do not, do not feel this, do not do that, do not do that. And it served for some time in some way, but eventually we need to go to the to the do's, to how to deal with that thing by by allowing that. No? Like, like like I put in my mm-hmm. book, actually there are no bad emotions. There are only bad things we do with our emotions. And that mm-hmm. called for more responsibility, actually, because it's easy to say, those are the bad emotions, so you avoid them. No, mm-hmm. they're bad. Be careful of them. And instead of saying, no emotion is bad, but you have responsibility on how you embrace each emotion. So that's more challenging. Mm-hmm. It demands more responsibility, but that demands more, invites for more, more growth and progress also. Yeah. And then to see the emotions as signals or signs, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a signal for me to pay attention. There's something important here. What's going on? Because, mm. oh, this, this yes. emotion is coming up. Like, what's this about? This is sig- this is a signal for me to look. Yeah. What's happening yeah. with this? Why is this really important? Yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember when someone asked Carl Jung about the unconscious. We talked about it a little bit before. Okay, one speaks about the unconscious, but how to make the unconscious conscious? How to become aware of the unconscious? And he will say, begin with with paying attention to certain emotions that are triggered in you at particular moments. So why every time this happens? Mm-hmm this particular emotion comes. That's speaking about something unconscious probably. But again, you have to allow that to happen. You have to accept the experience, yeah. accept the emotions, go through the, the motions of that, the motions of the emotions uh, without feeling bad about you. Again, you are embracing your humanity and integrating so many things. Mm-hmm. Let me share one comment that I'm seeing here. It's connected with something we talked a little while ago, but I think it's worth sharing, and, and you can share a few words on that if you want to bring the This comes from Jamanuya, and she's saying, how to deal with all the history before now between many divisions of bhakti practitioners and all of them having their own partial realities. Second generations, we have to deal with all those, second generation devotees, we have to deal with all those partial realities. Is it that we cannot be conclusive then with anything and giving the space to everyone to have their realities? Sometimes this space can be a bit overwhelming for those in the middle of those realities. My English is not good. I hope you get what I mean. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Brenda Sundari? Yeah. Um, How to accommodate all this idea of partial reality and we cannot be conclusive about anything or yes, how to be conclusive without becoming like narrow-minded and how, how to I think yeah, advise those who are in the matter. midst of those. Right. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, the, the principles. So we need to be clear about what we're conclusive about. What are we conclusive about? Mm-hmm. So conclusive about absolute truths versus partial truths and conclusive about principles and understanding that the principles are manifested in different re- in different ways mm-hmm. the principles are manifested in partial realities so to to understand like what am i what am i being conclusive about and what am i not so 
there are absolute truths and we can be conclusive about those. And then, and then interacting with those as a second generation. Yeah, I'm experiencing her comment and wanting to choose carefully how to say it. Mm. I can relate to the experience of interacting with those who, who are senior to me and having their perspective, um, them expressing their perspective to me and having that happen mm. with a variety of different personalities. So I, I, I appreciate being in contact with all different um, practitioners, devotees who are senior to me and I appreciate hearing their perspectives. And I also experience sometimes this a feeling of being in the middle of it mm. and mm. one of and each of them feeling right and more right than the other. And it gives an, it, I mean, it's an interesting perspective to be in the middle where this person really feels convicted that they're right and that their partial reality is the absolute. And this one, who has a very different perspective, feels that their partial reality is the absolute truth. And it's kind of comical, actually, because I say, well, that one and then that one, but you're both feeling really right and absolute about your partial reality. So, yeah, I think, like, the microphone is is sounding a little strange. I don't know if it's a microphone, something got unplugged. Yeah, it's making some. Yeah, it's making some like distorted yeah, sound or something. Yeah, okay, okay. just now, not before that. So I don't know if okay, something okay. was moved or something was changed or something or. Is it still, is it still doing it? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, uh, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna take it out. Yeah. Yeah, it may it may work better. Let's see. Can you talk? I I cannot hear you now. I don't know if you can like um, configure another microphone, the one from the computer. I cannot hear you now yet because it was very distorted. Now do you Let hear me? Know. Yeah, now I can hear okay. you. Okay. Yeah, with, without distortion. Sorry to interrupt, but it was getting mm -hmm. more and more distorted. <laughs> oh, okay. But we can hear you nice now. Thank you. Yeah, I think that I'll just share myself personally, that I've seen that part of my service as a junior in my relationship with those that are senior to me and being in a position where I hear different perspectives from different seniors who feel very clearly that their take on reality is the conclusive truth. Um, that I, I, I'm present with them as a listener and I take, mm -hmm. their, I take their perspective into consideration seriously. And um, I appreciate their perspective. And it's up to me as my own individual entity and autonomous being um, on my own path of spiritual life, who's responsible for my own spiritual life to harmonize all those things. And so- yeah when I am in relating with someone, um, I, I'm simply present with them in, in their sharing of their experience. And for them, it's conclusive. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and I was thinking even when we say, okay, we can be conclusive about absolute truths. 
And in one sense, yeah, of course, we will say as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, let's say Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the soul is eternal. But at the same time, there are, there are differences of opinion uh, in eternity. So we have also to accommodate <laughs> yeah. that, no? Yeah. Because, because we may have this idea of, okay, there is a point where we agree on everything and that means absolute truth. And then you suddenly re re realize, I don't know, if you go to Baikuntha, the, the inhabitants of Baikuntha will think Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu. No? <laughs> uh, so we are not thinking that same way here. Or if you go to Golok, as I like to say, you will find, okay, Yashoda puts Krishna to bed at night and she wants him to have sound sleep the whole night. But Sri Radha doesn't want that. She wants Krishna to, to sneak away and find and met her for Rasalila. So they have differences of opinion in eternity, but they love each other. Radha mm -hmm. loves Radha, Yashoda loves Radha. So, so my point is, yeah. this eternal situation is showing us that's absolute truth. There is difference of opinion, but they love each other. No? Mm -hmm. so, so I think that's also a challenge for us in terms of commun transformative communication, not only... Because we can say, well, we agree that we disagree. And that can be invoked in a very easy, quick, and dismissive and cheap way. Mm -hmm. But also, there is place for agreeing to disagree. But on top of that, how to increase my affection for those I disagree with? Yeah. I will say that that's a challenge. To keep loving those I'm disagreeing with. If the disagreement is, again, it's in the base of proper communication. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to take a sense of security. Like, what is it about the individuals in the highest realm interacting with Krishna together and having those different perspectives? It's all based on their own deep uh, security in their relationship with Krishna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So similarly here, when we are secure in our practice and, and we trust ourselves, um, and we're humble and knowing that we're limited, then we can cultivate a security where we can hear varying perspectives and not feel flustered. Mm. Yeah. Security. Yeah. And security sometimes can be mistaken as uh, you are overconfident or sometimes, now, unfortunately, that's even criticized like, okay, that's arrogance. <laughs> No, well, yeah. actually, actual security has nothing to do with that. It comes from deep, deep, this deep, vulnerable, humble place of knowing who you are, knowing who Krishna is, uh, but remaining vulnerable. So and that has a lot to do with humility. So it cannot be arrogant at all. So I will say those yeah. who mistake actual security for arrogance, they are not too secure themselves, basically. Yeah, so it, like we have security guards. Yeah, in their insecurity, they will attack uh, whatever is mirroring their own lack of security, basically. Right. Yeah, it's like like we have a bunch of security guards with machine guns at our door. You know, we have mm. an alarm system and, and like dangerous dogs barking. It's mm -hmm. different kind of security. It's a it's a deep it's a deepened place. Like the ocean is so deep that even though there's ripples on the top, there's no disturbance. So very grounded and connected and deep mm -hmm. then whatever's happening we can we can be stable 
There's one question here from Odara Lila that I'd like to share and also hear some of your thoughts, Brenda Sunder. She's asking, uh, I have a question about how to relate to the emotions of others. How do we honor the emotions of others without getting caught up in them? I find it hard to balance between being cold and putting up boundaries and being empathetic and getting overwhelmed by other feelings. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share some of your experience, I will say, since you, you, you are very much involved into this uh, area, basically. And, and, and so how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a development, it's a cultivation. So my experience is that when where we are, when one is present with one's own emotions and is able to really show up and be present in that area inside oneself, then the more we do that, then the easier it is to be fully present or to be partially present with mm -hmm. another person in their emotions. Um, that's the simple answer, but it takes time. You know, that's the thing. Like when we first moved to Denver, I was, I was the wife of the temple president and somehow everyone had all their definitions and all the definitions were different of what wife of meant. And, mm. but one of one predominant definition meant by default, I was the person that people would go to to complain about the temple president. So I wanted to hear them and receive them. And I had no tools or practice in how to do that. And it was so overwhelming, especially to hear someone criticize my husband. So, yeah, I was going to tell you that because the temple president happens to be your husband, right? Yeah, it's so ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i was thinking like, maybe i could just tell them don't talk to me mm. and i did sometimes i said just talk straight to him and many mm. people were afraid to speak directly to him so i mm. i actually started receiving uh, coaching around this that was the whole point of me even getting into transformative communication was so that mm. i could understand how to listen because i had experience previously where I remember one, <laughs> one devotee that was temple president. I was sharing my opinion about something, and he said, "You know, your opinion doesn't matter." Hmm. And and I remember thinking, that really feels demeaning. I feel really not valuable right now. Okay, and so then I was thinking, I want to be able to receive others and hear them. So that meant. I, it wasn't just some like management tools. It actually meant me going deeper into myself and meeting myself and my own emotions. And that was hard for me because I grew up with a, a mother who said, you're being too emotional. Don't be so emotional, which was like, emotion is bad. So for me to actually show up for myself, for me to show up with others and show up for meant showing up for myself. And it's a cultivation. It takes time. It takes development. Just like two weeks ago, we had Snana Yatra here, and the devotees were taking Jagannath Baladev Subhadra over, who caught a cold after Snan, and after being bathed, and they were walking over to their quarters, and I, I ran out of the temple to go, to, do, to walk over, and I noticed that one of the neighbors on the street, she was sitting there on the, on the ledge by of the front of her lawn, and she was angry, and she had her arms crossed like this and she was mm -hmm. angry 
and she was sitting next to an, another a, a woman who was older than her. And I saw one devotee approach her and try to distribute a book to her, and it made her more angry. And, and I was thinking, what's going on? So I, I sort of wandered over, and I made eye contact with her, and she said, someone parked their car in front of my driveway. This, is, this happens so often, practically every Sunday, and I'm tired of you guys. And here are the devotees that are like in, in bliss across mm. the street at this at the one house residential place that the devotees bring bring Jagannath. And she's so angry and she's hating the devotees and they're in bliss. And the devotees are like, here's a book. Distributing a book to her, right? She doesn't care. And 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 I looked straight at her and, and I said, You're so angry with us right now. You're so angry. And she's like, yeah, I am angry. I'm angry because this and this. And I was, I was like, yeah, I, I, it's so understandable that you're angry right now. Like you're, you can't leave, your car's blocked. And here we are being so oblivious and we actually are, are, are treating you like we don't care and you don't matter. Mm-hmm. No, and she, she was like, she felt so received by it that immediately there was transformation. Mm-hmm. She just, she felt heard, she felt received and she just, calm down and she was like thank you for listening to me i had three people like three of you guys approach me and 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 completely ignore me so her interpretation mm-hmm. of how they interacted with her because i'm sure they interacted mm-hmm. with her, her interpretation was they ignored me mm. yeah and you and you took responsibility of what's what's going on i mean you took responsibility for for your side and that helped her to take responsibility for her own emotion also. Yeah. No? I mean, she, I, by I, that I, time... I thinking, yeah, yeah. When, when you were acknowledging, yeah, I can understand what you are feeling because we ignored you. So we took response. That helped her so much. Okay, yes, I'm feeling like that. And like owning her experience, you are owning yours. And that's how, again, transformation occurs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I totally agree what you mentioned about the time alchemy we can call, not like the... How, how, I mean, we need time for these things to, for us to acquire expertise in those situations. I can recall my own situation as, as a sannyasi or as a leader of community for decades. And, and looking back for the last 10, 15 years and how I was trying, as you mentioned, to deal with situation without proper tools, with the best intention, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but best intention, I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, they said also, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I knew, I mean, I knew, I mean, almost 80, 90% of the problems in relationships have to do with <clears throat> communication issues. I could feel that, intuit that, and I was trying to do my best in trying to hear and be present and reciprocate. But of course, still there were lots of things that I was missing. And it was it was the best I could offer at that time. But I, rec- I needed decades of... <laughs> Not only experience, but as you mentioned, also learning, training, hearing from others with more experience, incorporating new notions. Mm-hmm. The other day I was thinking, uh, because I, I like 10 years ago, we gave in, in Argentina once in a temple, in a farm I was, the temple president, at, we make a seminar of nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg. I'm sure you know about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great. I was reading the notes and everything, and we were all moved by that. But now, 10 years after, I looked back in the notes, and I was like, what was I understanding at that time about this? No? 
mean, it was nice for us 10 years ago, but now I changed so much and everything changed so much. And I'm, I'm finding these same patterns of, I don't know, observe without judging and learn to identify, express your feelings and, and whatever, recognize your own feelings, take responsibility for them from a very different perspective. But again, time mm -hmm. was required. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get it's, it's challenging because we want it right now, you know, being patient with ourselves as we grow. And when we become familiar with the energy of different emotions and we're more, we're present with them more often than we, we just naturally get more comfortable. Like I know when I started really doing this process, looking at anger, anger was my go-to emotion for practically everything. And so mm. when I looked more closely at anger, it was an amazing discovery that, you know, previously I was thinking anger is just lust. But then I realized like anger is about protection. Anger is about boundaries. Anger for me is about personal power. It's about agency. Mm. And I could mm. see that there was so much self-discovery when I was present with anger. And now like the feeling of anger, the energy of anger, it's so familiar and it's like a friend now. Oh, it's not an enemy. So similarly, yeah. when we're, we're more familiar with certain emotions, we become comfortable with them inside ourselves. We sort of look at them, right? they become friendly. <clears throat> so then when we meet others in that, of course, it's more difficult with people that we're closest with, closely connected with. But yeah. to meet, meet someone in that and to know that energy it's not it doesn't it doesn't ruffle our feathers so so much and it doesn't you know there's surface level agitation sort of as a naturally yeah but uh it doesn't rock our boat yeah yeah i appreciate what you mentioned about anger as as your friend in the sense that that reminds me of bhagavad gita 6 6 with krishna saying your mind can be your worst enemy or it can be your best friend and anger is an emotion and emotions take place in the mind so it's another mm -hmm. way of saying you can make your mind a friend means you can make all of your emotions or your emotional gamut uh, a friend so yeah. that in potential of course but again for that to happen you have to be willing to coexist with them and get to know each other for sure <laughs> yeah yeah that's what it means to engage and disengage the body mind and in words that's what it means that we're managing the mind and mm -hmm. mind means the emotions yeah. so yeah control the mind doesn't mean don't have emotions don't have anger control the mind means make friends with anger and everything else which is more mm -hmm. challenging <laughs> yeah and to Love disengage yeah. yeah like how are we oh i'm not i'm going to disengage anger from here and i'm going to use it here mm -hmm. yes we mentioned it's all about integrating and recycling instead of rejecting and putting under the rough, so to say, no? Mm -hmm. In the center, a few words, because we have talked, and, and with this, may, we may be entering to the last section of our talk, uh, about the Satotov Foundation and the Satotov Seminars, because we have been talking about that, but, I mean, we are familiar with that on some level, at least myself, but some people may don't have yet an idea of, what's the sad to top. So I want to just to <clears throat> make mention of that and of course extend the recommendation for, for those who would like to have an experience of it. I had it a few weeks ago and it was very 
very inspiring in Denver. Uh, and I have my own highlights of the experience. I mean, I was very surprised that, it, it, happy, happily surprised, many things that were talked about that, I was already talking about in my book. So I was like, wow, so beautiful mm -hmm. that without knowing each other, we reached these similar places and conclusions. That's so confirming about this mm -hmm. intuition. We need to reach those places. Like, I don't know. Uh, Meta communication, for example, importance of going beyond what's being said and all that's being said in every sense of the term. Of, or as you mentioned before, the, the need for honest feedback, no? because we are surrounded by so much non-honest feedback, whether in the form of criticism or praise. At least me as a sannyasi mm -hmm. can tell there's lots of that yeah. exaggerated in both directions. Mm -hmm. And we need honest feedback to keep us sane, basically, to not go crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. So so that, those are some highlights, like, for example, also the using the I term to own your feelings. How many times we use to express what we feel in terms of we, us, in plural, like uh, as an unconscious way of not taking full responsibility for them. And of course, at the same time that we are not responsible for other people's experience, which we used to fall so many times in that direction. Uh, and that's such a baggage for us, extremely. Mm. Uh, anyhow, some thoughts mm. I'm sharing, so many other highlights that I could share, but a few words in connection to Satutov, if you would like to share a few words in that connection. Yeah. Yeah, I, I started um, working with Satutov. Actually, I was trained in transformative communication or transformative coaching. In 2015, mm -hmm. I took the training. And like I said, that it, it opened up so much for me in my journey of self-realization that I, that I actually retook the training so I could stay absorbed and develop myself further. And then I was, I was staffing that online training. So there is an online training for transformative coaching um, to become a certified transformative coach. And then... They also offer seminars. So I fly, I fly Dirgovindapu out here to conduct Salvatore Foundational Seminar at Harmonist Sanctuary. And so that was one of my intentions for Harmonist Sanctuary was to create a, a safe space for, for a safe container mm -hmm. and for um, devotees and uh, for undiscovered devotees for practitioners of all different types to jump into that experience. And, and, and it's highly experiential. So um, it's also intense. It's an intensive, you know, we start in the morning and we go all the way till the evening and there are breaks. And as you remember, the breaks are- and For the clarification, yeah. That's the first <laughs> thing I asked when you told me it's 12 hours per day, three days. Are some breaks in between? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So very, very well, well placed. We're very well placed breaks, but also very well placed intensity, immersion. Yeah, it, and it's meant it's designed to be that way because yeah. it's designed to break down, and it's it's similar to other personal development seminars and intensives. So yeah, the first day is of the foundational is empathy exercises. A lot of experiential exercises to develop empathy. It's the first day, and then the second day is um, is how we relate to others, mm -hmm. and then 
it's focused on our relationships, like what's what's getting in the way of our relationships or our of of empathic, clean communication and relationship. And then on the third mm-hmm. day, then we look more at the intrapersonal communication. What how, what am I telling myself about myself? You know, how am I relating to myself? And then from that, how how do I want to bring this into my life? So mm-hmm. I, I I organize two Savato Foundationals at the Harmless Sanctuary twice, uh, a, two a year. And then, of course, then there's the second level, which is a seven-day training, which mm-hmm. is more, um, it's more focused on intrapersonal, very focused on intrapersonal. Mm. Yeah, I've heard the glories of that one, and I've been even kindly invited by you to do that one. The next one you will have, but unfortunately I will be, I already was yeah, organized to be in India for that time, but I look forward to, to that second complimentary experience for sure. Here here I'm sharing a link for the website of, of Satvatov, just in case for those who, of you who would like to know more, it's Satvatov with only one T, Satvatov with E at the end, satvatov.com for those who are listening. So yeah, thank you so much for, for, for that introduction, further introduction to, to Satoto, which I think it's very important. And, and again, for those who may be thinking, oh, such so much time you're investing in communication and learning to hear and talking. This sounds like tedious and this is like hmm. lots of time. Uh, actually, on the contrary, I mean, you, are, you will lose so much more time if you don't work on these things. <laughs> You'll have so much headaches and problems and conflicts and big stuff if you just want to save time by not uh, developing our your our communication skills so it's not a loss of time but it's a, an investment for eternity basically because as we mentioned in eternity that will be so much required as we already shared mm-hmm. yeah well it's, it's more like where are we putting our energy so it's more like putting a energy and time into a place that expands energy and time Mm-hmm. It ultimately, ultimately that we're becoming more efficient in how we're functioning and we're becoming more proficient in how we're functioning. And therefore we become, we're accessing deeper levels of energy that we didn't have mm-hmm. before because they were covered or being convoluted by all these other dramas underneath the surface that we don't realize are happening. So it's very energizing, like, mm-hmm. like clean kind of like kind of like on you know on a, on our on our smartphones we have apps and if you have apps running running behind like if you keep them running mm. they can run in the background and they're all sucking energy from the functioning of the phone so mm. if we have all these things running in the background or beneath the conscious service we have all these things running that are unprocessed then it's just sucking our life energy Hmm. Yeah, and I think it's a very the, the, the symptom you mentioned of suck, sucking our life energies would be a good way to put because sometimes the practitioner or any person may feel like I'm discouraged, I'm not on my best day, I'm whatever, depressed, confused. And of course, there may be so many reasons for that. I don't want to sound simplistic, but also one of the many reasons may be what I'm doing with my communication, where I am in terms of how I'm expressing myself, connecting with my own emotions, connecting with other people's emotions. So my point is the answer to, to one's 
discouragement and depression, at least in a big level, will be found in where we are in those terms, where we are in that area, how we are able to to communicate to one another in a, and with ourselves in a transformative way. So mm-hmm. I think it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a big point to always keep in our radar, so to say, to always, not in a neurosis type, but just like to always be willing on a daily basis, hopefully, to reassess how I am today conducting myself in terms of communication and, and tomorrow how can I improve a little bit more and a little bit more uh, and not see that mm. different my spiritual progress basically yeah so Brenda Sundari any closing words you would like to share before we conclude our episode today some concluding reflections something that comes to your mind that you, you feel it's important to to present or to re-emphasize whatever yeah engaging in spiritual life means that we're that we're experiencing freshness that we're experiencing aliveness and to the extent that we're going towards numbness then we can see that there are some unwanted creepers that are getting in the way and yeah transformative communication is simply um, a part of the bhakti process and if we're feeling stagnancy then i think it's it's an indication like spiritual life is meant to be exhilarating even now that we are Mm -hmm. experiencing some sense of alive aliveness and exhilaration in the discovery process and so Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to encourage, I, I encourage everyone to create what they want, like create that freshness that they want, and to experience the, to have the to freedom, to trust oneself, and to give oneself that space, and to cultivate it with others, like safety, confidentiality, being vulnerable, being on the growth edge, um, yeah, being alive. Thank you. Yeah, I totally resonate with the idea of how all of our main spiritual practices have to do with what we talk today with transformative communication. Shravanam, learning to hear Kirtanam has to do not only with singing, but also speaking. Sadhu Sangha is so crucial for us, but without transformative communication, we cannot talk about Sadhu Sangha. Even if we want to talk about our four regulative principles, they have so much to do with transformative communication, austerity of speech, speech that is truthful and beneficial, truthfulness being one of the principles, ahimsa, non-violence in our speech, non-violent communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you chose it. Whatever we, we, we put our attention, we can find this transformative communication as all-pervading as part of our life and practice. So. Thank you so much. Here, comment by Michelle Mistelk, some concluding praise for Brenda Sunder. She's saying the epitome of personalism, Brenda. Mm-hmm. So I think she's connecting you with that, that we also call radical personalism. So sorry for having labeled you as such, Brenda Sundari, but Uh-oh. you are one more, another radical personalist. I'm in trouble. <laughs> That's the trouble we want for sure. <laughs> so, thank you so much. And again, thank I will you. share with you. Brinda Sundari's email for whomever would like to contact her. It's brinda at harmonistsanctuary.org for those who are, who are listening. 
So again, thank you so much. And next episode, which will be next Saturday, just a brief announcement, Saturday, August 19th at 10 a.m. EDT time. I will be talking with Bhakti Rasadasi, and our topic will be upgrading our traditions past in the present moment. That's another topic, quite transformative, hopefully. I'm very connected to communication as well. So again, thank you so much for the thunder. Thank you so much to everyone. Thank present. you. We're present and see you next week.